Welcome to the Growing With Purpose podcast. I'm Paul Spiegelman, and we're going behind the scenes with very special leaders, learning about what shaped them into who they are in business and in life. Rachel from the Small Giants community. And if you are enjoying this podcast with Paul, you will love hanging out with 250 other purpose-driven leaders. Register for the annual Small Giants Community Summit, where we bring together like-hearted leaders from around the country for three days of learning and connecting. Visit smallgiants.org to learn more and register, and we'll see you there. My guest today is Dan Sachs. Dan is a professor at DePaul University School of Hospitality Leadership. He's also the founder and owner of the Bin 36 restaurant and wine brand. He recently published a book called The Million Dollar Greeting, which focuses on integrating hospitality practices across the service economy. Welcome, Dan. Hey, Paul. How are you? It's so great to talk to you. I was uh, actually... In full disclosure, I was interviewed, I think, for your book. I remember you you took the time to come to Texas to meet with me, which was uh, such a pleasure, and to hear that you were uh, writing a book about taking some of the concepts that you learned and developed in the hospitality industry to see if they translated into other industries was just fascinating to me. Uh, how's that measure that that message being received so far? So far, so good. I think. Um... You know, one of the things that has rung true, and I think even for you in our conversations, was how um, how you treat people inside your organization and, and your customers really makes a difference. And even though we don't always think about it in the context of traditional hospitality, it really it boils down to that, that kind of customer care, internal and external customer care uh, that makes a difference and moves the needle for businesses. So if you say that wasn't part of the traditional hospitality, uh, how would you describe traditional hospitality around this topic? And, and where did you learn or decide that you wanted to maybe do it a different way? Yeah, you know, I, I was really lucky early on. Um, I came, um, came from a family of entrepreneurs. And um, I, my dad was in manufacturing, actually, still is. Um, and, um, so I started out, um, on the factory floor with a push broom, um, and working, um, sort of the street festivals and and fairs in the summertime. Um, and so I saw firsthand, um, what it meant to, as a leader to, to connect with both, um, your employees on an individual basis and um, your customers, the people that were even intimate customers in those days, the people that lived in the neighborhood where the factory existed. And, um, you know, that sort of mentality really carried through um, my my early professional career. And one of the first jobs I had uh, early on was at a restaurant in New York City. I was really lucky called the Union Square Cafe. Uh, which was owned and opened by a guy named Danny Meyer, who's now famous for opening Shake Shacks um, right. all, all over the country. But he really set a tone uh, about how um, people could be treated in, in inside an organization that 
that manifested itself in how they treated their customers outside the organization. That that had a huge impact on me, and I could go on for a long time. But I do remember um, very early on after I had been hired um, and before he was world famous, <laughs> mm. I ran into him on the street. Um, I had probably only been in at the restaurant for two or three weeks, and I was you know busy Manhattan street, and he saw me, stopped me. And we had a good 10, 15 minute conversation, not about the restaurant or anything else, but him just investing the time and getting to know me. And he, he really could have just sort of nodded his head, waved and walked on by. But the time that he invested in that moment, um, I realized after the fact really paid dividends around how I felt about the restaurant and the kind of emotional connection that I had with the organization that, that continues even to this day. And I, I it probably is exhibited by the fact that I'm telling this story, but is really um, a testament to how he looked at leadership and the relationship between himself and his employees. Well, it's funny I'll, uh, that you, you share that story about Danny is I was just in New York last week um, with uh, Hemza, who's uh, our executive director with the Small Giants community, and we decided we we wanted to make sure we tr- we tried a couple of Danny's restaurants. And I had been to Union Square Cafe before, so she was there on I think on Friday night with her husband, and I saw her on Sunday night. And said, "How'd it go?" She said, "Well, it actually wasn't wasn't great." And and we're all, we're big. Uh, uh, big proponents of customer service and with a very uh, strict eye toward it. And so we ended up uh, talking about this while having dinner at one of his other restaurants, Gramercy Tavern. And uh, the the experience there couldn't have been better. It was just amazing. And so the, the moral of that story was that even over the years, what's critically important is consistency, right? From night to night, from restaurant to restaurant, and you built your brand, Bin 36, uh, into a a pretty large business. Uh, How did you develop that consistency in service over time? (laughs) A lot of gray hair, Paul. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think um, you hit the nail on the head. Consistency is a a huge component uh, in hospitality and in any business. Um, And my experience is that uh, it is a marathon. Consistency is a marathon, not a sprint. Um, I think we all, and I have seen both in my own business and in consulting, it's very easy to get excited and enthusiastic over a new idea or a new plan, new strategy. Um, the day-to-day uh, boring nuts and bolts of getting the work done consistently is tough. And part of uh, at least from my perspective and what I tried to do in my business was to remind myself as the leader that I was the one who was responsible for ensuring that my team uh, knew the importance of getting in the weeds and the details. Not that I had to do it personally, but that um, that everybody in the organization understood that if we were going to execute on the strategy that we developed that we really needed to have measurable goals against those strategies that we look back on every day, every week, every month to ensure that we were getting the work done we wanted to get done. And, you know, that sometimes involved very um, technical um, 
aspects of our business when it came to food cost or something like that. But it also had to do with what people, I guess, call soft skills um, around um, how we behave toward each other, how we motivate our employees, how we measure um, tenure um, and compensation and all those other factors um, that some of which are, are tough to really get your arms around. But if you look at them on a very regular basis, you start to to know what they touch, feel like, they, they sound like, and, and then it becomes a lot easier to, to act on them. All right, so I want to do a very mini consulting project for you right now because I shared with you a few months ago that I made the decision for better or worse to get into the restaurant business myself in Southern California with a, a small wine bar and kitchen, very charming place, very small with only 20 people, and uh, I'm learning quickly how tough the, the business is. But uh, I immediately thought of you when I did that because you grew a, a significant business in, in Chicago uh, called Bin 36. Uh, tell me what are the things I need to be thinking about and watching out for because here's a place that doesn't have a thing written down. No processes and procedures <laughs> in place. People, people love it. It's got a great reputation. What's that? <laughs> yeah. So uh, how, how do I go forward? is that a lot of people get into the restaurant business because they don't like the discipline around um, running a, what we would think of as a typical business model. Mm. Um, in my, again, the restaurant business is especially susceptible to this, but my experience in general, and this, this does translate to lots of different businesses is that as, as humans, we gravitate toward the aspects of our business that we enjoy most, the, the stuff that generally got us fired up to get into the business in the first place. And that could be customer service, that could be making widgets. Um, it, it depends on what your fancy is. But we gravitate toward the part of the business that is the, the sexiest, the most fun for us. I think that's just human nature in general. And the challenge is, how do we wrap our heads around the idea of focusing on the stuff we don't like to do? And for people in the restaurant business, that is often the nuts and bolts around finances, around um, the technical aspects of, of human resource management, um, around uh, even, even supply chain issues. And mm -hmm. so um, getting people who are great front-of-the-house managers, for example, or great chefs to focus on the aspects of the business that they don't naturally fall into, I think is the first step in helping people to define what can make their business successful. God, that's, that's, uh, that's worth the price of admission right there. Uh, <laughs> so I feel like I kind of know where to go from here. Give us a sense of the scope of Bin 36, uh, the restaurant, the wine, and how much wine you produced. I mean, this was not a small operation. Yeah, we, we, um, we started out, actually, I opened a restaurant in the mid-90s in Chicago um, that was sort of somewhat along the model or the lines of what Union Square Cafe was doing in New York. And in Chicago, it was somewhat revolutionary, the idea of creating this really high-end experience that wasn't formal. Back in those days, you know, when, when we were a little younger, um, people equated a good food and a good dining out experience with a with a waiter in a tuxedo and white tablecloths and um, fancy china and 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 crystal 
And we really tried to turn the table on that. And one thing that came out of that experience was the idea that people really didn't understand wine, just generally, that, that, the, that the biggest measure of whether a wine was good or not was how expensive it was. And so there was a day at, at, at Spruce, the restaurant that I had opened, where I, it was an open uh, floor plan, and I could see across the room this, uh, there was a table of four people, and they had ordered the second least expensive white wine on the wine list. And, um, which was not, not, which is not surprising, but the wine was a white wine. It should have been a pretty light colored, um, white wine. And it was almost Brown. I could see across the room. It was a very dark golden color. And so I knew something was wrong. And the, the two young couples at the table just didn't know how to articulate and were embarrassed even to, to say something about it. And we had a great conversation and sort of sorted out their issue. But what that drove me to understand was that there was an opportunity in the market to build, um, a different kind of restaurant around wine, which at that time was just starting to become a sort of more everyday beverage. And so we built this massive restaurant, no, no, uh, no, no small 20 seater. Um, Mm -hmm. it was 12,000 square foot, restaurant, sort of a wine playground in 1999 uh, in Chicago and became, fortunately for us, sort of at the, at the top of the wave and became the resource for wine and wine experiences in Chicago and I think beyond a little bit. Um, and, and it was really exciting because we, we built a business based on the premise that wine didn't have to be expensive, it didn't have to be fancy, it didn't have to be complicated, that you could get served great wine by people in blue jeans and T-shirts, and that, um, you know, it it wasn't that much different than having a a craft beer or something like that. And from that, then, we evolved a wine business um, where we labeled our own wine out in California and sold it internationally. And at its peak was selling over 10,000 cases. But like, you know, like, like a lot of things in life, it had its um, cycle and was really successful and then began to uh, the, the, the challenge of retail versus restaurants. That's another lesson, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Do what you do well. Don't think just because you do one thing well that you're going to be a genius at everything. And uh, we did well at wine for a bit, but... But, you know, we weren't retailers and we didn't innovate packaging and all that kind of fancy stuff that people need to do to sell wine. So we sort of plateaued um, a little over 10,000 cases. And ultimately, um, I've got a lot in my cellar at home and, and, and <laughs> right on a regular basis, but we don't produce the wine anymore. <laughs> That's funny. Well, uh, my partner, Chris, uh, has done something similar and produced wine um, up in Santa Barbara called mile 216 and and uh, we sell it through the restaurant which is really primarily the only place it's distributed right now but we we have 13,000 bottles uh sitting up in a in a warehouse up in Santa Barbara that we slowly dribble down to uh uh Laguna Beach for the restaurant but uh, we also have those visions of retail and all those things we could do so it's a great uh, a great suggestion and lesson to focus on what you do well and and take it slow in terms of diversifying um, now you're you're teaching right you're you're teaching others through um, being a professor being a consultant uh, doing leadership training uh, how has that transition gone for you 
Yeah, I feel like I'm living my best life right this moment. Um, and not just because I'm talking to you, Paul, but just in general. Um, mm -hmm. I have, um, yeah, I've, I've gotten out of the day-to-day -day grind of running restaurants. Um, and I teach, um, teach students actually both uh, in the School of Hospitality Leadership here at the DePaul and in the Management and Entrepreneurship Department. And I'm the entrepreneur in residence uh, here for the university. So I get to work with lots of uh, young uh, students, both graduate students, uh, undergrads, and even DePaul graduates, on uh, helping them get their their idea off the ground and in all kinds of crazy ways uh, and crazy ideas that you know I feel it makes me feel a little bit old because I say to myself, God, that that's the craziest idea that'll never work, mm -hmm. and then I tell my kids about it and they're like, Oh yeah, Dad, that's already being done. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, with especially with the way technology works. So it's been great. And then, yeah, I've been able to uh, enjoy working with some big, uh, large-scale entertainment companies um, across the country and do some really interesting dynamic leadership training. So uh, all, the, all the stuff that I always had wanted to do, I've been very fortunate and now um, have had a chance to take advantage of. Yeah, you, you're really becoming a thought leader, including uh, with your with your book, The Million Dollar Greeting, which is a tremendous read. And I uh, suggest all listeners uh, check that that book out. One question I do have for you, Dan, was with your experience um, primarily in the hospitality business, and you kind of now have had exposure to and work with these other industries from a customer service standpoint. Is there really any difference? I don't think so. You know, I, I think humans are humans. One of the biggest things that differentiates us in terms of business isn't necessarily what's important or how we value it. There are certainly uniquenesses to any industry uh, and any specific business. But at the end of the day, if you look at the research and you, and you just um, sort of measure it by the smell test, people behave generally generally behave the same way regardless they want uh, the same things out of their work experience and and while pay is uh, certainly important in fact it just needs to be adequate relative to what else is available it's really about many of the intangibles around work that that are what differentiates how we think about our job and the way we uh, the way how hard we work at our job uh, and so that's not hospitality specific at all, and that's not really industry specific at all. That's leadership, uh, and I and I think that's what really makes the difference. And when you talk about leadership and this idea of internal and external customer care, have you seen in your work a direct correlation between how you treat your employees and the resulting care they take of the customer? Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, you and I have a a passionate uh, interest in that very topic, I know. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think um, there's no doubt that not only does it just seem to make logical sense, the statistics on, on uh, retention, on um, what are called um, citizenship behaviors, that is people doing work beyond what their job specifies, uh, and um, people's willingness to uh, look at their customers with the kind of passion that they look at uh, their own lives is the statistics on that are clear. 
And so there, there's no good argument that I've come across, at least, that um, would suggest that not focusing on your internal customer slash your employees is a critical tool toward finding success in business in general. And these days, you know, 85% of the economy is built on the service economy. And so pretty much every business, unless you're in mining or agriculture, is touching customers one way or another. So to, to leverage your employees to create the best possible outcomes for your customers is a key to differentiating your business, regardless of industry. So true. And uh, you raise a great question, which I've always asked myself, which is, it, yes, it just makes complete sense. It seems intuitive and the statistics support it. So why doesn't everybody do it? And uh, and that's that perplexed me for a long time until I, I sold my original company, went to work for a very large company in the corporate world and realized that that the leaders that didn't lead that way didn't do it that way because they didn't know how. And and what they had done in the past, this more command and control style, uh, shaped them. It's what they knew. And it worked for a long time. Did you see that as well? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's um, And, they're, they're, you know, you can't – I don't think anybody starts out thinking that they don't want to do well <laughs> by mm-hmm. their employees or their customers. But there's so many competing factors around you know whether it's your your shareholders uh, if you're a big public company your quarterly earnings um, other metrics that are designed um, by leadership to to measure performance there there are lots of good reasons that it makes that make it difficult not to focus on your employees but they're not um, there allow me say it differently there are lots of good explanations uh, around why people don't focus on employees there aren't a lot of good reasons not to right. Uh, and uh, I think that, that that is just a mindset around what um, you believe as a person and as a leader that you're going to prioritize. And we all set priorities every day. And, and if you decide that employees are a priority, then you make them a priority. And whether you're stuck in a top-down management organization or not, it's like in the hospitality business, we would say uh, it takes as much energy to smile at your customer as it does to scowl at them. And uh, I think that that's true in pretty much most relationships in business. Amen, brother. Uh, well, let me take you back a little bit because people would listen to this and think, wow, what a tremendous career. He started this big restaurant, a big line of wine. Now he's teaching other entrepreneurs and companies of actually all sizes and all industries kind of living the dream. But where did this come from and how did, uh, how did we take you back to how you got started? You mentioned uh, starting on the factory floor, your dad was in manufacturing. What were some of those other early lessons learned? You know, I've I've been very lucky to work for people or with people. I always think of it as working with people. I think that's part of the key. Is I never felt like I was working for somebody, but I think in the end, it was it was very much about understanding a common purpose around whatever business I was in. Uh, even if when I was, you know, a young teenager working with my dad, it was about recognizing and, and the leadership of the, whatever organization, recognizing and communicating clearly to me that the greater purpose of the company uh, was X, Y, and Z. And that as long as I understood that and kept that in my mind, that I could be a contributor 
And I felt like understanding that I was part of a bigger whole really made me feel good about the work I was doing. Even in those early days when, you know, I was trying to figure out if I was ever going to become a professional basketball player or um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) end up um, cooking, which is what I ended up doing early on. And that, that has stuck with me for a long time is it's not about me, the person it's about what the vision is and, and getting everybody to clearly understand that and be on the same team with me has served me well when I was young, trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And I found has served well, even in teaching and, and, and getting my students to recognize why they're in the class in the first place and what, what it can do to help them on their journey. In your operation in the big restaurant and, and uh, when you were in the wine business too, uh, how many employees did you have kind of at your peak? Uh, at our peak, we had a couple hundred. Okay. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a huge organization, but it was enough to keep me up at night. That's for sure. And, um, you know, I think the challenges that come with that, I think once you get over about five employees, the challenges are, are, are largely the same. They're just proportionate. Uh, when it comes to managing people and, and I, you know, for better or worse, I, um, was invested in every single employee we had. And, you know, it, it, when, when you approach your work that way, uh, I think it's hard not to be engaged, um, and purposeful in what you're doing. In the restaurant industry, uh, particularly with a couple hundred people, it's an industry where we're known for high turnover and uh, those kinds of things. A lot of part-time people, people who might have more than one job to get by, who might have passions in things other than the restaurant or wine business that they're they're doing with you. How did you learn to scale that culture as you grew? Yeah, so that's that's a great question, Paul. I think, you know, the first thing is accepting the fact that people are going to leave. <laughs> you know, in, the, in the early days, I took it so personally <laughs> that somebody funny. would leave. And the reality is, is that, you know, especially these days, um, uh, employees are more mobile than ever. Uh, but I think when you, when you sort of focus on some key elements of leadership, you have more success. And that's around sort of establishing a clear vision clear sort of goals for the company and making sure that the employees understand what they are and building a community within the organization so that people feel like they're part of something that's bigger than just themselves. And, and that's, I guess that, that community is, is, is coupled with sort of culture and creating the, the right kind of corporate culture. And then, and then as a leader yourself, being accountable to your employees, being uh, really genuine and clear with them about um, what your expectations are, but then ultimately on the back end, being an accountable leader. I think that accountability goes a long way with employees because the one thing that people want is clarity around their work, right? They want to know what's expected of them and they want to know that it will be consistent that the that that your decisions are consistent and fair across the board. And so if you can be accountable to your employees in a culture that's nurturing and and build a community with a clear vision, I think you you're definitely um on the right track. 
so true. Culture really is leadership when we think about it. Uh, as you look back in those years when you were really in the mix, and, and even today, uh, in terms of your own personal leadership growth, what were the areas that you either struggled with or had to learn over time um, and didn't come naturally to you? <laughs> you should ask my wife that question. <laughs> um, is she around? Yeah, right. Uh, I think, um, yeah, I got to keep you, keep it in the, actually, I don't want her to answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, I think leaving my ego at the door in general was ultimately very important to my ability to be a successful leader. There were times early on in my career where I would say things like, yeah, that's a great idea, but in my business, there are certain unique things that make that impossible to implement. And it, it was that idea that I knew better because I was in the business on a day-to-day basis was really misguided in a sense uh, because leadership is about not necessarily, of course, you need to know the details of your business, but it, it also requires you to be able to step back, take advice from others who have been through it before or who have different perspectives and put your ego away in a drawer somewhere and uh, embrace diversity of thinking around how you can move your business forward. And that, I think, in the end, I think about things, and as I move forward in my career, I try to do as much as I humanly possible uh, and be as open and willing to accept other points of view and then ultimately incorporate them into my thinking as constructively as I can. Yeah, we can get so caught up in what we think is the right thing to do and even a little arrogance sometimes along the way. And once we realize that uh, we don't have all the answers and we're open to others, then we're going to become even better leaders. That's a, a great message. Uh, so many good tidbits, Dan, in, in listening to you today. I feel like it's a personal counseling session in my new business. Uh, but uh, if you're talking to a young person who's really just starting out in their career and hoping maybe one day to be an entrepreneur, uh, what kind of advice would you give them to someone that's just starting out? You talked about uh, the differences in young people today being so mobile, uh, but there's a lot of people that would listen to your story and say, you know, I'd love to be like Dan. What would you tell them? <laughs> you know, I, I the advice I give the, the students that I talk to um, is somewhat, uh, I, I touched on it earlier, is to lean into the uncomfortable places, to, to figure out where you are least uh, able and where you're, where you're lacking tools and solve for those problems first. It's not easy, none of it's easy, but it's easier to be and to feel good and to be successful in areas that you already are passionate about and excited about. But Focusing and, and really mastering areas where you feel less comfortable and uh, want to <laughs> pretend don't exist. When you're starting a business or when you're in a business, it's those areas that will come up and nip you in the butt every time. Um, so I really uh, I advise even mature companies that I consult for to look around the corner and think about the areas where they're not really focused on because they just don't want to deal with it. Um, and those ugly underbellies are the ones that uh, never go away. Yeah, so true. As I think about it, uh, it takes sometimes years to figure out actually what we are good at. 
<laughs> you know, so that takes a little while too. But when we do that and realize that's what we are good at, that's what we enjoy, uh, it's pretty easy to make a list of all those things we're not good at, don't enjoy doing, don't want to do, and to uh, accept that that's what uh, it means to be a leader, to, to whether learning some of those skills yourself or probably more importantly, find great people to do those with you um, is really what makes a great leader and ultimately a great company. Uh, so many great uh, lessons learned along the way. And I know that's even continuing for you, Dan. I'm sure you do it. Uh, you learn from your students as you uh, continue to teach and share, consult and train. Um, so let me just end with these uh, these five quick hit questions to, just to get a sense of what's influenced you. Can you name a leader you look up to? Oh, yes. My dad. Very, um, you know, he's still at it today. He started a company 50 years ago uh, and has uh, his sort of, I would say, laser-like focus on um, what's best for his employees and his customers has been a, um, has been a, a guiding light for me for a long time. I love that. Uh, my dad's my hero as well. How about a a book other than your own that uh, <laughs> that that lit, influenced uh, your leadership style? You know, I, I hate to lean back at uh, Danny Meyer, but his book "Setting the Table" uh, I think really was one of the keys that sort of made me appreciate how uh, how hospitality really permeates all aspects of uh, industry and and throughout the business world. It's a great book. Uh, how about uh, your all-time favorite movie? <laughs> all-time favorite movie. That's tough. I'm a very emotional uh, moviegoer, and it really depends on um, where I'm at and, and what I'm what I'm doing. I will say though um, that can I can I sort of um, uh, triangulate on this question? But uh, I just saw this Netflix show with my kid um, called Fat acid salt heat um which i recommend which was fascinating about how those four elements affect the way we see food the way we taste food um and it was really it was great so that's not really an answer um i could say mama mia which is one of my kids <laughs> but, um i did the most recent one that has stuck with me was that was that was that movie on netflix is that a is that a documentary or yeah a, it is it's okay a five part documentary okay all right that's a good one I'll, I'll check that out and uh, lastly what's something about you that many people don't know I love gardening oh yeah okay I'm still awesome. I'm still trying to um, coax the last few tomatoes here in Chicago even though it's about forty degrees off the vines at my house nice nice. Um, well, uh, this has been great, Dan, to talk to you and just in my conversations with you, it's, it's so, so nice to have somebody, um, on the show that, um, kind of gets it, but got it early on. And the fact that you're paying it forward now to share it with other students and other business leaders, uh, it, it just says a lot. And I really appreciate the contribution you've made. Let me, let me share a couple of the reflections I have on things that stuck with me. Uh, I love how, uh, the early lesson learned with your dad in his business, starting on the factory floor with a push broom and understanding that it means something to treat people well and to build that sense of community inside the business and that that's going to uh, Im uh, impact how we treat our customers. Uh, I know you started it with Danny at Union Square Cafe. You know, what a great uh, learning uh, place for you. 
uh, we talked about consistency in business, that it's a marathon, not a sprint. And uh, it's you know, we're never going to be 100%, but that's really the goal is to get there. Uh, uh, I love you know your biggest lesson that, that as a leader, I'm responsible for making sure that uh, I understand what I'm not good at. I lean into those things that I'm accountable as a leader and responsible to know, make sure the team knows that details are important. Uh, and I love how you took what you learned from Danny uh, in your first restaurant to look at this idea that the experience of a great meal or a great restaurant doesn't have to be formal. Um, that's kind of what we're trying to do in our little place in Laguna Beach as well. Uh, it's service is service, no matter what industry we're in. And uh, as much as we try to all at first say, well, we're in a different business. I was in the call center business and I could talk about that for a long time. It didn't matter. Uh, people are people. People want the same things out of life, want to be treated well, respected, and then they're going to do great work for us. And uh, that that this idea that we, we kind of laugh at, that just this just makes so much sense. Why wouldn't all leaders do it this way? But to realize that we weren't all taught this way um, in growing our businesses. And so I love seeing those leaders that are realizing that the world of business is changing, that command and control leadership is on its way out. Um, and the more collaborative, culture-focused leadership is what's really going to sustain, especially uh, with younger people. Uh, and that if there's anything you could contribute as a leader, it's understanding that there's a, a common purpose uh, that we're building an internal community and and that even in a restaurant business where people are coming and going and our job is to set clear goals and let people understand what they're a part of and that it's bigger than any one person uh, in the organization. And and lastly, just in everybody's life as we as we grow, as we're transparent in our own abilities, we can understand that there's certain things we really love to do and that we're good at. And um, it, it's those things that make us a little bit uncomfortable that create the focus of great leadership and I think ultimately building a great life. So, uh, Dan, it's so great to catch up with you. Thanks for joining me today on the podcast. It was my pleasure, Paul, anytime. And thank you for joining me on this episode of the Growing With Purpose podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please support the show by subscribing to hear future episodes. Until next time.